Welcome everyone to OnRamp to Success. Our guest today is Dave Parody. He is a presentation expert and is one of fewer than 10 Microsoft MVPs in North America recognized for PowerPoint, Microsoft Teams, and Excel. He's authored 10 books on effective PowerPoint presentations. His articles and videos on virtual presenting have been viewed over 1 million times. He's delivered highly rated conference sessions and over 450 paid training sessions in the last 22 years. And I can tell you, I met Dave at a conference. Mm -hmm. And the reason I asked him to be our guest today is I was very impressed with not just the content, but with the way he presented it made something that sometimes is very complicated, seemed very simple uh, to me. So I really appreciated that. So with that, Dave, um, tell us a little bit about your business who the kind of typical clients are that you serve. Uh, thanks, John, and, and thanks, Steve, uh, for having me on the podcast today. My business is primarily training, and my clients are corporate. And the training that I do is on how to create and deliver effective PowerPoint presentations. And in these days, it's virtual. So I deliver training programs all now virtually. So it used to be in person. But then, of course, in uh, spring of 2020, everything went virtual. And, and what's fascinating to me is that I'm now getting feedback from my clients, people who did the live in person and have now done the virtual, saying that the virtual is far better. And in fact, I'm not sure that I will go back to in-person training because the virtual has been wet so well received and it works so better, so much better for the clients. And that's really who we serve. We serve our clients. Mm -hmm. And so if it's working better for them, then I've identified and they've helped me identify why is it working better for them. And I think that the whole idea of virtual training today has changed. It used to be, oh no, virtual, no, we can't do that. That's just, you know, it's, it's a lower form of training. But when you're forced to actually have to evaluate and people put more time into making it better, what you discover is it can actually be not only as good as, but in some cases better than what we were doing before. Yeah, I, I, I was chatting with Steve earlier about how I was looking through some of your YouTube content and I noticed all the way back in April, of last year, you were already talking, you have a whole series about future of business meetings where you started talking about this way back then. And I started watching those thinking, wow, I, I feel late to the party. Um, Steve and I have talked about this quite a bit, how we've done a lot of what I saw and heard you talk about, about um, changing your, your office setup and mm -hmm. your, your equipment and you know doing all these things where you were really early on that. Um, some of the clients that, that you have, you have a very impressive client list. So I'm curious, um, just some of the names that I came across that huge companies that everybody would have heard of. Office Depot, uh, Automotive News. I used to work at AutoNation, so that caught my eye. That's a huge uh, publication for that industry. Herf Jones, uh, if you have a class ring, they maybe there's only a few companies that make those. They're like a humongous company in like class rings and, and uh, yearbooks. Fred Pryor Seminars, I'm curious... Uh, to hear a little bit about that, Steve and I um, are a little familiar with that. The National Speakers Association, I mean, you've got some huge 
companies, the Staubach Corporation, for us old guys, remember Roger Staubach mm-hmm. in his football days. How, how do you, and you're, you're a, a one-person show, correct? Yes, and that's by choice. That okay. is deliberate choice, yeah. And, and Steve and I are as well. So we, we can, I'd love to dive into that too, all the pros and the cons and, and what makes mm-hmm. you love doing that. Mm-hmm. How have you secured such big name, prestigious clients? Because it can be very yeah. difficult as a solopreneur. Yeah, it, it, it can. I think it's easier now than it was when I started over 20 years ago because it's just accepted now. And, uh, and, and when you look at that client list, John, and here's one of the things that, uh, that I certainly have seen the impact of. My clients that I've served probably in the last five years are not on that list because every contract I sign says I cannot make public the name of my clients. So I have a lot of huge clients, big names that everybody would recognize that I can't even talk to them because corporations are doing this. They are imposing these restrictions in their contracts. So the way that I get these clients interested, these big corporations interested, primarily it's through what I do on the web. I have spent a lot of time getting focused on content that is going to be very helpful, that proves I'm an expert and is very well ranked. So you talk about the content on YouTube. In the intro, uh, as, as I had let you and Steve know, my uh, videos and articles on virtual presenting have been, have been viewed over 1 million times since April of last year. That gets you noticed. I have some videos that are over 100,000 views each. So when you have people who are searching for that content, you, you have to take notice of that. And so one of the things when, when you, you, know, you talk about uh, some of the specific, you know, how do you build your business? How do you, how do you look for the future? One of the things I do is, is I am very, very specific about checking what works based on fact, not on base what I think is working or what I hope is working. I look at my Google analytics. I look at my Google search console. I look at my YouTube stats. I look at my LinkedIn stats. I am looking at those stats and I know certain things about my business because I look at the stats. For example, you want to talk about Google Search Console. I can tell you the difference between searches that come from the UK and searches that come from the US when it comes to virtual presenting. UK is much more Teams focused in terms of a a platform, US Zoom focused. So I know what my audience is. I know where they are and what they're going to be focused on. Why? because I look at the stats. So for those of you out there who are starting your business, building your business, get in the habit now of looking at facts. Get going on your Google search engine uh, tools like Google Analytics, like Google Search Console, because those are the tools you're going to use. Now, yeah, I know initially you start out, you're not getting a ton of, of traffic, that's okay but get in that habit of looking at the stats and seeing where it's going. Um, You know, a lot of the videos I create uh, and have created for YouTube and the articles I write are partly based on the questions I'm getting, but partly based on what are people searching for. And did you dig in and become 
expert in all of this yourself or did have you hired people to help you with all the SEO and the Google analytics and everything you just described? I, I've done it myself because what I found okay. is that most of the people who are pitching this stuff, they're not everybody, okay? But most of the people who are pitching this stuff, I look at it and I go, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with the approaches they take. I'm not comfortable with the shortcuts they take. I'm not comfortable with the, you know, the, the gray areas that they want to, that's just, that's not me. That's not my values. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. So I've learned how to optimize my uh, web pages. I have learned how to go through the Google analytics and search console to find what is important. And, and I look at things different than, than some other folks and other businesses, and that's okay. But it's what I have found has guided me into uh, getting well-ranked. And so by far the number one place, almost the only place that I get new business is from people who find me on the web because they were searching for something specific, an answer to a question or something that uh, they were struggling with or seeking out, they see my content, they view it, they read it, they go, I'm not seeing that anywhere else. That's really helpful, that's practical. This is the person we should talk to. And that's how I get yeah. basically all of my new business. Yeah, and I would say of the videos that I viewed, that was probably the first thing that jumped out at me. Even, even just some of the content you send out in your newsletter, they're super practical. Like you, you listed specific equipment that you use, right? Like a camera mm -hmm. or a light or a, a stand for the laptop where a lot of people might look at that as not being that important. But I know from, from when I do presentations and we talk about any kind of software, people interrupt me to ask like, what software did you do that in? Right? So people want that kind of detail, but a lot of people out there are not, they're not giving that information out in such detail. Um, I'm curious, this kind of ties me back to something I wanted to, to dive into anyway, which is your background. You have a well-rounded, but I would think a very solid background with being very detail-oriented. I, I mm -hmm. see from your background, you've got a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering. You've got an MBA from Dartmouth. Some people might look at that and go, well, yeah, sure, Dave, you know, he's got that kind of background. He can dive into all that Google stuff. Do you think a typical solo entrepreneur would be able to dive in and learn all that stuff you just talked about for themselves? Or do you think people with certain backgrounds um, are more well, well suited to that and some of them maybe might be better off farming it out to someone? Well, that's a decision everybody's going to have to make on their own. What I would suggest to people, though, is um, don't sell yourself short. I don't think that everybody has to go into all the same details I go into. Look at your business and say, what do I need to know about my business in order to grow? And then figure out how do I find that? And start with maybe, you know, five pieces of information you're looking for. Might be, what are the, what are the pages that are getting ranked highest on my website in searches. Okay, start with that. Mm -hmm. That's not hard to find in Google Search Console. Uh, Google Analytics, you might, you know, what are the pages that, that Google says have problems on them that I need to fix that are causing it to rank me down? Well, okay. So 
there are there's a lot of really great information out there, but only restrict yourself to say the top five things that you want to know. And then when you get comfortable, you'll decide to ask another few questions. None of this is something that you go 100 miles an hour at the start. But if you don't know what questions to ask to know if your business is on track or not, that's a bigger issue. That's a a strategic level issue. You got to get the strategy questions right first before you can then go ask, how do I measure myself? If you don't know what you're measuring, none none of this really matters. So yes, I am a a very detail-oriented, a very process-oriented. I'm comfortable with technology. Does that help? Of course it helps. So I'm going to probably go a little deeper into that sort of stuff. But I'll guarantee you there are folks who look at other important aspects of business that I don't look at because I'm not comfortable in that area. So we each have our strengths. Don't compare yourself to what I do. Look at what's important for you. And if you need some help, get some help, but but make sure that the person who's helping you understands what's important to you. And is not just feeding you, well, here's the 18 things that every business needs to know. I'm I'm not sure that that's true. What your business needs to know, what my business needs to know, even though we might be similar businesses, it's going to be a little different. But if I look at an entrepreneur who's in, uh, for example, they do uh, arts type of business, whether they create art or, you know, those sorts of things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know how to measure that as well, because it's just Mm -hmm. not an area that I'm, I'm well tuned into. So No, you don't have to go into the depth that I do, but make sure that you know what questions you need to answer and you figure out how to answer those questions. So start with five and just go from there. That's great advice. Um, So I'm curious, having mentioned your background, Hmm. how did you go from an MBA and these process-oriented jobs? what, What was it that drew you into specializing in PowerPoint? Uh, well, it, like some people, I'm sure who are listening, it wasn't me who had the idea. So oh. I'll, I'll tell you the background. So I was working in the uh, Canadian mutual fund industry and I was primarily in the back office processing. So I got involved in an industry standards group and I got involved in writing new standards for electronic transmission of data between fund companies, which would be kind of the the, the wholesale producers, and the retail channel, the broker dealers. And you have to exchange information on transactions and positions and those sorts of things. And I wrote a new standard called the messaging standard. I had to go across the country and sell it to everybody to tell them convince them why you need to spend tens of thousands of dollars to upgrade your systems for what, you know, because the future of the industry was at stake is really what the reality was. And as I went across the country doing this, I would have people come up to me afterwards and they would ask me about why I did certain things in the presentation, not the content, but why did I do certain things? And that started to get me thinking, Hey, you know what? I think I know some stuff that works here but I didn't know why. I knew it worked, but I didn't know why. So that started me on the journey of figuring out why do certain things work and why do certain things not work? When I left the corporate world, I 
went out and started training in project management because that was an opportunity that I had with an existing organization and it allowed me to build my skills and build my expertise. And when you know their business model changed a little bit and it became uh, less financially advantageous for me, I started to look around and go, okay, I, I, now I'm ready to build my expertise in an area I've now done some more research in. And that started me on the journey. And, and it has evolved over those years tremendously from where I started. But I took what I had from the engineering background, which is a very structured way of thinking, the MBA, which is a very good understanding of broad business topics, and be able to bring that. So when I go to an organization, I can understand their business. I can understand their metrics and be able to talk to them about that, even though I'm not an expert in that area. So this morning I was, I was speaking to a group of uh, researchers in a pharma company. So do I understand what all of those molecules do and everything like that? No, but that's not important. What's important is we were talking about how do you present the results of work that you've done, numeric results in graph format. Which ones do you select? How do you create those in Excel? That is going to be universal. Makes sense. So uh, the name of our podcast, On Ramp to Success, is built on the RAMP acronym. The R in the RAMP acronym stands for routines and habits. So um, I'm wondering, are there any routines or habits that you have developed for yourself that you could give as, as advice that would be helpful specifically as it applies to how people are communicating when they're making presentations? Yeah, I, I, I can certainly get around that, John, if I, if I want to, but I think what might be more helpful to, to our listeners is what are some of the habits that, that I actually do that I would recommend that they consider for their yes, own businesses. And so some of the things that, that I do sort of as habits is uh, I get up early. Now that's not for everybody, so I'm, I'm okay with that. But some of the other things, show up early. Don't be late. There's a reason that I was on before the time you asked me to be. Because I believe in showing up early. When I, when I show up for a, for a session, to do a session, I would never think on an in-person session, I would never think to be there anything less than 30 minutes in advance. For virtual sessions, it's 15 to 30 minutes. I, you know, we were setting up with a client yesterday uh, for a session next week. And they're like, you know, could you show up a few minutes early to test? And both the colleague I'm doing with this and I both saying, okay, you don't know how we work. If we're there 15 minutes early for us, that's late. So yeah, get yeah. the virtual session started because we're going to be there probably before you even start it up. Uh, second thing would be work hard. There is no shortcut to success. There is absolutely no, you know, when you talk about on ramp, most people think of ramps as a relatively short bit of road to go from a slow, you know, road onto the highway. That's short. I can get through that. Boom, run, run, right? No, folks, it's not like that. It doesn't work that way. It's going to take hard work for a while before you get up to speed and at, at highway speed. Uh, and the other would be deliver excellence. Excellence is what defines you. Excellence is what gets you hired. 
it what's get you noticed. You know, we talked earlier about the content that I put out there and why people resonate with it. I believe it's because it's excellent content. It's, it's practical, it's real world, and it helps them solve a problem. That's, that's how I deliver excellence. So whatever it is in your business, understand this is not short. This is not going to happen quickly. There is a ramp. Just understand the length of that ramp is not the way it is when you, you know, make a right turn and you're on the freeway. You know, some areas of, of, of the country, that's the way that they built ramps. <laughs> They're, you know, come on feet long and you're, it doesn't work that way. It's a long ramp. So, but these habits and routines are what get you up to speed and get you able to merge onto that fast highway. So you mentioned specifically um, solving problems. What are some of the most common problems that cl clients want you to help them solve? Well, when they come to me, they're coming to me primarily because the presentations that they are delivering, or more likely the presentations that they are seeing. So normally I'm getting a manager or above coming to me saying, I don't want to sit through what I'm sitting through right now. So they come to me looking for, we want our presentations to be more concise, single biggest issue in presentations today is information overload. People just, excuse the term folks who are listening, they vomit information all over the audience. John can decide whether he cuts that out later. Um, so, <laughs> but we've all, we've all been on the receiving end of that. And oh, I, for I know sure. Steve and John are laughing as we do I this. know I've been on the, on the delivering end of that earlier sure. in my we career. All, we all have, but, but again, if we yeah. haven't learned how to figure out how to cut that down and what to do with all the rest of it. The other thing people come to me for is, is we want it to be more visual so it's easy to understand. We're being forced to use this PowerPoint thing. How do we do that better? When I put things together to make it easy for myself and make it more uh, sort of usable by the folks that I'm training, I wanna teach repeatable approaches. So the GPS approach is, is the approach I, I teach to structure your presentation. So the G stands for goal. Uh, what is it that you, that you want the audience to get out of this? P is present situation, which is both the audience as well as logistics. And logistics used to be easy, uh, and now it's not. And then the final S is steps. So steps is, what are the steps you're going to take? So I break it down hierarchically in topics, points, and supporting information. And what that does is it really structures for people how to put together a presentation. And what I suggest is, is they actually uh, work to create a written outline. When they can create a written outline in Word, not in PowerPoint, in Word. So then you can review it with others. And then increasingly in the last year, and this is where sort of the business has, has changed a bit since the whole lockdown, is I've developed an expertise in virtual presentations. And how do you deliver it with the equipment you already have? So one of the things I'm very clear about is I don't use any fancy equipment. I use plain vanilla PowerPoint. I use the plain meeting platforms, whether it's Zoom like we're talking about today or WebEx I was on earlier this morning, Teams yesterday, whatever platform it is, it's basic stuff. I have a basic external webcam, uh, you know, basic laptop from Dell, you know, standard type of stuff. So that's what people are coming to me 
to solve. And it, it's a variety of different things within those worlds, whether it's uh, maybe some finance or research people saying, hey, we got lots of data and that's our biggest issue. Um, other people I'm, I'm dealing with, and you'll kind of find this interesting. Uh, I'm gonna be dealing with a, a company that makes hair care products. I don't have much, um, but their, their focus is how do we engage people virtually? Because they used to do in-person demonstrations. How do you do a demonstration when you can't be there? How do you do multiple cameras and, and things like that within a Zoom or Teams environment? So I'm gonna be helping them with a number of things there. And so it's all around the solutions that are practical, that are real world, that the problems that people are really struggling with right now. Do you have, I know on, on your website, you have tons of resources. Mm -hmm. Do you have guides specifically about what you just touched on? Because th those are things that I hear people ask about a lot as well. Yeah, the virtual presenting, I have, uh, if you go to my, my homepage, uh, right at the top in, in the yellow bar, it's Teams and Zoom articles. And that's where I have all of the articles that I've written about it. And specifically the biggest issue that, or the biggest change I've made is really understanding why people love presenter view in PowerPoint. I used to actually, and this, again, this will be a good demonstration for people who are listening. There are times when you're going to have to change what you have been talking about. I used to actually teach people not to use presenter view. I taught against presenter view. Today, I'm a big proponent of it because I've discovered how it can be useful. I also discovered how many people want to use it. So I have a complete guide to using presenter view with Zoom and another guide for Teams, whether you've got one screen, two screens, or three screens, because though that's the reality that people are living in. Yep. So it's an example where I have to look at my business and say, gee, you know what? Look at the stats. People are asking for this over and over and over again, and I've got nothing on it. Why are they asking? Is there something here I'm missing? So folks, if you're running your own business, don't be afraid to be asking that question of yourself. If everybody's talking about this, am I missing something? And I discovered I was missing something huge. And I now use it, I teach it, I talk about it, and why I think it can be tremendously valuable. It's just an example from my own business over the last 12 months of recognizing something that's changed. And now I've produced a ton of content on it. And we'll make sure to include at the end your, your URL for your website, thinkoutsidetheslide.com. Yep. Um, and point people to those resources. Something you said really hit home with me was that you're not using lots of expensive equipment. You're, you're figuring out how to use what you've got better. And I think that's huge because there's so many people working from home where they may not necessarily have a budget that their boss allocated them to be able to, to add equipment at home, buy an expensive uh, camera or lighting or microphone or any of that stuff. And I've seen some of these professional presenters. I saw one that had a recommended equipment list. It was like thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's, it's great to hear you give that advice because people, you, you don't need to spend a ton of money. It's the principles more than the equipment. And John, it's not even the money, okay? I know someone, personally know them, this is where she works every single day. She gets out of bed. She's got a husband and two kids who are also working at home and doing school at home. They don't have a huge yeah. home. So what's her work area? Because everybody needs their quiet. 
She literally pulls a dresser drawer out of her dresser, puts a board on top, puts the laptop on, pulls a chair between the bed and the dresser, and that's where she works the whole day. She doesn't have not just the money, John, the space. Where is she going to put, right. you know, a 36-inch widescreen TV and lighting <laughs> setup and DSL? That's not real, but you yeah. don't need it. You don't, I'm using a standard Logitech C920 webcam. Great picture. Me I've got now, a, thanks to you, by the way. I've got a <laughs> I've got a ring light because just the room I'm in, the lighting isn't isn't great the way I'm I'm situated. You know, and in terms of you know fancy background and stuff like that, that's an IKEA room divider. That's all that is. You don't need all the fancy setups. I'm I've come from the professional speaking world. So I've seen all these multi-camera switchers, OBS, all this sort of stuff. But remember, John, my clients are corporate. They can't install anything on their laptop. IT locked it yeah, down. That's a huge point. So I have, to, I have to use what they have available to them. So again, folks, in your business, what do your clients have available to them? Let's say you're in gardening and you say you should go out and get this $2,500 rototiller device for your vegetable garden. They don't, they don't have that. They can't, where are they going to store this? No. So what do they have available? Meet them where they are. You can give them a glimpse of, hey, here's some stuff that you might want to consider, but meet them where they are. Otherwise, they will just go, oh, that's not for me. Next and off they go. Yeah. That's great advice for, that seems like you could apply to just about everything in business. Meeting, it is meeting them where they are. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. and, and part of that under, you know, you have to understand where they are. So you're going to have to do some, some research. You're going to have to do some interviews. You're going to have to, you know, talk to them and understand really where they are. I, one of the things I didn't understand as well as I do now is the vast, vast number of people who are sitting at home, working from home with only their laptop. They don't have a second screen. So how do you use, and this is by far the biggest topic that gets searched that I get found on, is how do you use presenter view with one screen? And so I've written a number of different articles and approaches and discovered new ways to be able to use presenter view when you only have that one laptop screen. So it sounds like you do an awful lot of troubleshooting and problem solving, taking that information that you're getting from both your research and all the analytics, as well as conversations with clients and problem solving, instead of just giving people a menu of, Hey, here are the things that I have to offer. Pick something off my menu. Um, yeah. I, I very much do that, especially my training is all customized. I don't deliver the same thing ever <clears throat> twice. Um, it's just not, not what I do. I just not, not what I decided my business is going to be. Um, the one thing I though I have decided I don't do, and I'm very clear on this, is I do not do individual consulting. So I do not work with people one-on-one -on -one to solve problems. So one of the one of the challenges you get when you get some YouTube following, as I have, and you get you know half a million YouTube views, is you get people emailing you looking for individual advice. I had one person email me and say, can you get on a Zoom call right now? It's like, 
you know, they're in Europe and I'm, you know, and, and, and help me. That's where folks look at your keyboard, find the delete key, use it often. <laughs> because here's the thing, you have to decide what's your time worth. Where are you going to spend yeah. that time? And if you're responding to every little thing, every personal request, you're not going to have the time to do the more important strategic things. So I made a decision a number of years ago, John, and people can check it out on my website if you want to go check it out, see if I'm lying or not, is you go to my consulting page. It says, I don't do this anymore. Go down to the bottom of the page. Here's people who do do it. And I give you links to their website. Oh, that's great. I don't, I don't and, and here's another thing. I don't say, contact me and I'll let them know and they'll pay me a referral fee. I don't do that. That's not me. It's not the industry I've ever been in. I, that's not the way I work. So I, I freely say, here, here are the people I recommend. I trust. Go contact them. Tell them you heard about it, you know, from me. But I, I don't do it. That's you just not what I do. But I've, again, I've chosen what do I want to do? What don't I want to do? So folks, you have to be very clear in your business. What is it that you do and what is it that you don't do? Discovering what you don't do, I think John and Steve might be more important actually than figuring out what you do do. Yeah, you just hit on um, the, the P and the ramp acronym, purpose and priorities. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, they get stuck in that almost like a FOMO uh, mindset. Mm. Someone asks, can you do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? They think, oh, well, this, here this person is willing to pay me to do this thing. I don't want to miss out on that opportunity. And then they get sidetracked from what were originally their original priorities mm -hmm. and their purpose for being in business in the first place. I, yeah. I no doubt have done that over the years, um, much more early in my career when it felt like I had to. Sure. And so, so folks, when somebody asks you, can you do this? I'll guarantee you the answer is almost always yes. But here's the question you need to ask is, should I do that? Yeah. That's a question you have to ask yourself, by the way. Not a question you ask them, you ask yourself, should I do that? And then the answer might not be yes. So now I'm, you got me curious now because I, I love your approach to that. Um, on the achievements and goals, I, I kind of look at goal setting in general as kind of two different camps. I think this is a lot of people struggle with when they're, they're looking in social media to experts and they'll see an expert that says this and then another expert that says something totally contradictory. So with goals, I way, way back years and years ago uh, learned about uh, John Wooden, the great basketball coach at UCLA, won like 10 national championships, right? And what I heard about his approach to goal setting is he would tell his players, don't worry about the other team. I don't even care who we're playing. I don't, I'm not looking at stats. All I want you to do is focus on yourself and improving, adding skills, honing your skills. We're not even looking at goals other than goals related to just improving. And then you have these other schools of thought with goals that say, you have to have smart goals. They have to be written. You have to look at them twice a day in the morning and at night. Where do you fall on goal setting and how you approach it? I do have a financial goal that I set annually. And the reason I do that, 
So again, you, you have to have a reason, folks, for any approach you use. You have to know why you're doing it. So what, the re, what it helps me do is it helps me track to say, how much business have I booked? Because the way my business works is, is I will book something, then, then deliver it maybe a month or two or three months later. So I track the bookings plus what's been billed. That's, that's my metric. So how much have I booked versus given the number of days that have passed in the year and the percentage that would be of my goal, am I tracking? And it gives me a bit of a sense of is what I'm doing working or not? I find it difficult to start to say there are goals that I should be setting that will not be flexible because I've had, I've had over 20 years of experience in doing this and realized you have no idea what's coming down the pipe. Last year, yeah. when you look at my 2018-2019 business, 93% of my income was from being in front of people. Mm -hmm. March of last year, that went to zero. At that point, any goal I would have set for, you know, I want to do X number of in-person gigs or I want, you know, my largest gig ever or whatever, that doesn't matter. And, and yeah, that's been, you know, a huge impact for many people, but I've been through this before. I've been through the economic recession of 2008, 2009. And then we went through something here locally that, that you know, you may not have gone through in your area, but I saw it in one of the previous guests mentioned SARS. So SARS became a big issue yes. in Toronto. In our area where I, in the ge geographic area I'm located, nobody wanted to come here. I couldn't tell people I lived close to Toronto. I would tell them I'm just north of Buffalo because if I went somewhere, I would be shunned. So wow. that's it, may not, it may not be something that's global like we've all been experiencing in the last year. It may be something local. So yes, it's good to have goals. It's good to have plans. But I've got enough experience to know now that that can all change in a moment. And so it's a matter of being flexible. I do believe in having at least some way to measure how are you doing and for me, that's bookings because that just, it makes sense in what I do. But I believe we have to be thinking about it in a more sort of general perspective. I'm not in the, the hardcore, you know, write them down, post them on the mirror so you see them in the morning and at night type of goal uh, approach. And again, it, it's what, what's going to work for you. You touched on something that is one of the big things I love about doing this podcast is we get to have guests on sometimes from all over different, not just different geographic regions, different professions. We've had on speakers and project managers and uh, coaches and, and they're, they're all people that have some commonalities in that we see things that they're doing that tie into some of these bigger picture success mm -hmm. principles, you know, exemplified in the mm -hmm. RAMP acronym. Um, so let's get a little bit off track of the, the technical stuff and the business stuff, because when you mentioned Toronto, um, what it tell us something about your area where you live that maybe we as Americans, I, me and Steve are in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. 
Um, my only exposure to Canada, when I was a kid, um, one of my aunts was born and raised in Swan River, Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And I spent a summer traveling all over with that aunt and uncle and my cousins. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've ever been there, it's in the middle of no, it's farm country, right? Or at least it yep. was back then. But you're in a big city, right? Yeah, the, the, the greater metropolitan area we're in. So we're technically in Mississauga which is a suburb of Toronto, but um, our city in itself has over three quarters of a million people. Um, it's the sixth largest city in, in Canada. So, you know, what I, our area is very, very cosmopolitan. Whereas there are certain areas in the United States where uh, they are predominantly one uh, either ethnic group or race um, in, in the greater Toronto area, because Canada has had so much immigration in our history, we have a huge mix. We as, as Caucasians in our specific area with our school, our children were always the minorities from a, from a wow. skin color perspective. They grew up not seeing anything else that, that that was normal to them so they don't they don't have a problem with any of that our area is i think i looked at the last census sort of thing you know over 70 percent are from southeast asia uh, a lot from um, bangladesh uh, sri lanka um, india pakistan so we have all of that around us and they're just Canadians like us. We don't see it. We don't see it that way. Uh, and and it's, it is a difference to, to the, the folks who live in the United States and don't have as much experience coming to Canada. I've been fortunate. Uh, I went to school in the U.S. for my MBA. Uh, most of my in-person business, 80% of my in-person business is in the U.S. I have a twin brother who, oh. who lives in uh, Chicagoland area. And so... Uh, you know, my, my sister-in-law and our niece are, are Americans. And we, we actually have had a challenge and where our kids were in, in elementary and middle school, we've had a challenge where there are quite a number of Canadians who do not have great views on Americans. And that's partly because mm -hmm. of the news. And so we would have teachers in our kids' school who would be making negative comments about Americans and our kids would push back. Do you know any? Like, have you visited there? See, because my because my cousin is American, my aunt is American, and I know them. Our kids, you know, when they by the time they went to high school, I think we counted up. They had been to like eighteen or twenty states because we took them all over as we traveled. If you haven't been there, if you haven't talked to people, if you haven't lived there, if you haven't experienced, I'm not sure you have much of a right to talk about it, other than. Here's what somebody else says, but I haven't been there. See, that's a perfect example of, I think we in the United States, and, and Steve, tell me if your experience has been different, but I was born and raised in the United States. I lived for about six years in Panama where my mom was born and raised, but on a military base. So it's like the US you know, <laughs> dropped into another country. And my perception has always been from the time we're born, we're drinking the Kool-Aid that says we are in the greatest country in the world and we're the best at everything. And 
I think as I got older, I started to realize, well, you know, if you look at hard data, we're, we don't have the best healthcare, we don't have the best education, then your, your bubble starts to get burst. But it's more actually in conversations like this with people who live and work in other countries where you really kind of get the real skinny on some of the contrasts. Um, so I'm curious, your undergraduate degree you, you got in Canada, correct? Yes. Yeah. And then Dartmouth, obviously, here, here in the U.S. Were there any any things about the education systems um, here in the United States and, and in Canada that jumped out to you as being very different or were they pretty similar? Now, so undergraduate and graduate programs can be very different in and of themselves, even yeah, if so you were, were even at the same school. So it's a, it's a little sure. hard to, to sort of that, to, to make that right. comparison. I did, yeah, that's a good um, you know, one of the things that, that at the time, again, this is a number of years ago now, we're not going to admit how long about that was, um, <laughs> but, but I, when I went to, went to talk at Dartmouth, you know, they had a whole ethics code. We had never had an ethics code here. We just like, why would you need an ethics code? Um, mm. But they did there, you know, when, you know, and this is again, one of the big differences between Canada and the U S is, is now when we, when we moved into dorm, you know, one of the rules was you couldn't bring your firearms. <laughs> it's just, that's not even, you can't even own them here. Let alone, you know, it's like, why you would even, you feel like firearms. What are you talking it was, it was actually an issue for at least one of the people I know. He's like, what do you mean? I can't bring my, you know, my oh, guns wow. into the dorm. Um, so, but, but in terms of the schooling, one of the things is, and again, this is where I think the U.S. has evolved. Fortunately, its business leaders have evolved. I literally had somebody say to me, well, Canada is just the 51st state. Why don't you guys just join? Yeah, I was going to say, we, Americans so, um, almost by default think of you as just, you're, you're almost like us. You're just a little further north. Right. And so, and so that's where it's, I, I, think, I think people's, people's perspectives have evolved and said, hey, you know what? Other countries have value in and of themselves. We are, we are different than them, they're different than us, but, it, but different doesn't mean better or worse. And I know, you know what we see on TV and the political leaders saying, you know, we're the greatest country ever and all that sort of stuff. We have to remember, you know, that's, that's a show. You know, they're, yeah. they're doing that for a particular purpose. It's just like, you know, in sports, you know, we're the greatest team ever and all this sort of stuff in the heat of the moment. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's for some aspect, it's entertainment more than anything else. Um, but I think, I think, you know, when, when, when you're thinking about your business folks, think about you can have an international business today. It has been never easier to have an international business, business with services, with electronic products, but just understand not everybody is going to be exactly the way you are in your country, whether that's the United States, whether that's Canada, whether that's UK, wherever that is. It's not always going to be the same. And so you need to do some investigation. You need to understand kind of, you know, how those things are different. One of the ways, John, that I have to adapt, uh, the word color, we spell it differently here. But when I write, all of the articles you see, spell it the way the U.S. would spell it, because that's where the majority of my readers are going to be. So understand those different areas you're going to be working in or potentially working in learn a little bit more about them and adapt to them. 
So don't, don't take our conversation about Canada, US the wrong way, folks. We're really focused here on how can we build a business that does not have to have borders, does not have to have barriers that surround us and say, we can't go outside this. Today's world allows yeah. you to go beyond so much easier than any other time. When you mentioned the different spelling, it, it, it made, made me think of there's a, a program called color accounting. Are you familiar with that? I'm not, but there's a lot of accounting areas I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a company that's created some system for presenting accounting to non-accountants. They call oh, it okay. color accounting because they, they've got a lot of uh, like uh, they send you a box of stuff and lots of things are color coded. It's, it's just a way to simplify it. Um, love to talk to you about that offline because I'm curious if it if it might fit in with anything you do. Um, but just the, they spell it both ways. Okay. Um, I think they may, may have started in either the UK or Australia. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. For some reason, my brain connected those dots when you mentioned the, mm -hmm. the different spellings. Yeah. Um, so just to make sure that we're respecting your time, we typically, Steve has been gracious and been holding his questions. So um, I want to give him an opportunity to ask you some questions. I'm sure he's, he's got sure. money. Um, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up um, on time. So Steve, you want to, you want to jump in here? Of course, John. Thank you very much. Dave, great, great content, great stuff. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for those listeners that haven't done so, the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto is fantastic. Anyways, <laughs> one of the things that uh, I really like to know from you, Dave, is from your training standpoint, do you have a lot of folks that are primarily focused on or is your training itself focused on the technical or the design aspect of PowerPoint? Or is it kind of blended? Do most people miss how to click around and use PowerPoint, so to speak? Or, or are they needing the help from the design standpoint? What's been, well, maybe what do you do in that regard? Yeah, so one of the things, Steve, that I'm very clear about is, and, and this is one actually the reasons people hire me, is that I am not a designer. So I know the best PowerPoint designers in the world. Uh, they're part of PowerPoint MVP group and, and I know who they are. And I make it very clear to, to my clients, I am not a designer. And the reason I say that is because they do not want their professionals turned into designers. That's not the role. They're analysts, they're managers, they're specialists. They need to focus on that work. So what I help them with is, first of all, how do you plan and manage your content? And then secondly, and this might be more of what you were thinking about in design is, how do you select the right visuals to communicate that message? But my visuals are standard visuals created in PowerPoint and Excel. I'm not gonna show you gradients and shading and shadows and all, no, you're never gonna see that from me. Here's the thing, I show them what you can do and it's only at that point, Steve, that they go, oh, I guess I need the technical skills too. See, here's the thing. Most people think when I ask them, they're like, yeah, Dave, I'm probably intermediate, maybe almost even advanced in, you know, in my knowledge of PowerPoint and, and, and Excel graphs. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty darn good, better than most, I'd say. And then I show them what the real measuring stick is. See, they thought the measuring stick was this big. It's actually this big. And now they don't even know 
what the measuring stick is. And after that point, they go, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. we need this. And it's why when I do a typical program, my typical programs now are eight 90-minute sessions. So the first four sessions are around what I call uh, the, the training sessions, which is where I'm sharing the approaches. How do you do your content? How do you um, select the visuals, uh, virtual presenting tips and techniques? And then the second four are the techniques sessions where, again, it's a different approach. I have them watch videos offline, do exercises, send that homework to me. Then the review session, we go through the homework. I add on more techniques to what they've learned. And each of those has its own focus. So they're prepared after the first four realizing how much they don't know, but also knowing we're going to get all that learning afterwards. And I position it very clearly with my clients about that because, it, they, again, they, they think their staff pretty high level at this until they see what you can do and how quickly you can do it. Yeah. So just for our listeners out there, you know, the, the kind of the measuring stick you used was it went from, you know, maybe three inches to like a foot and a half. I mean, significantly different visibility from their standpoint of knowing how much they know versus how much you were able to show them and what they can't do. So I guess part of that goes into my last question that I have for you is from a mindset standpoint, how much of it do you think the training that you incorporate is all about helping them shift their mindset either that I don't think I'll be able to do this to I can do this or I thought I knew what I needed to know to do this versus how much I don't know. You know, tell us a little bit about maybe the mind shift you have to help them through as they're going through your training. Well, you know, it's interesting, Steve, you talking about that because one of the one of the first things within the first 15 minutes of session number one that I get into is I tell them, you're gonna to have to fundamentally change your philosophy because here's the philosophy. When I ask people, why did you do this this way in the presentation? Inevitably, the answer I get is, well, Dave, we've always done it that way. Like, like my colleagues do it that way, my boss does it that way. We've always done it this way. And so what I say is, is I want you to shift that mindset from we've always done it that way to a philosophy that says, I'm going to make a deliberate decision about everything in my presentation, a deliberate decision about the content, a deliberate decision about which visuals, a deliberate decision about how I focus the audience, how I deliver. And I keep coming back to that deliberate decision over and over and over again. And what it starts to help them realize is they had been on autopilot. They had not actually been making any decisions. They had been on autopilot. And when they start to have their eyes open to say, I can make a decision on that. That's even an option to do. Now they start to think, well, how do I make that decision? How do I approach that decision? What is the best decision? And I'm, I'm very clear with them. I said, not, I'm not saying everybody has to make the same decision. That's not the point. It's that you made a decision. And I said, I'm also fully understanding that if I come back to you nine months from now and I ask you, why did you do this in the presentation this way? You may tell me, well, Dave, I did it because my boss told me I had to. And I say, that's a perfectly valid decision. It may not be optimal. I get that. But it's a perfectly valid decision because that's your priority is to keep your job. I get that. 
And I'm perfectly okay with that. So you have to make those decisions, but make them deliberately. And, and so, so Steve, I frame that as, as sort of the mindset to go into every presentation with is thinking about, I'm going to make de deliberate decisions. And for the folks listening to this podcast, I would have you adopt that sort of an idea when you're thinking about your business, when you're thinking about any advisor who's giving you advice. Are you, are you hearing that advice? Or are you thinking you need to do something just because, well, everybody else is doing it, or that's the way we've always done it in our industry? I would suggest you make that, that shift to say, I'm going to make a deliberate decision about it. Now, that might be a decision to do something the same way somebody else does it. That's okay. But it might be a decision to do something different because there's a reason for that. And if you're doing it different than somebody else, that's okay. As long as you've made that decision and you have a reason for it and you're open to saying, you know what, with more information, I might make a different decision later on. Okay. Thank you. You are welcome. That's it, Steve. I thought you had like, I'm, I'm the curious George that I've got like 50 other questions I could ask you, but we're going to, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, so Dave, we typically end by asking our guests if they have a particular quote that's a favorite, favorite quote of theirs. So I'm wondering what, what, what is a quote that you could share with our audience? So John, I'm glad you asked me about this yesterday. So I could, I could think about it and, uh, and be prepared for this. And I thought about it a bit, and I, and I, I think, John, the, the one that, that sort of I would want to share with our, our listeners today is actually, um, it's from the Bible. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And the NIV version reads this way. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, this comes from, obviously, from an agricultural context at, at the time that this was written. Now, but you got to understand, sowing is not just, you know, throwing a whole bunch of seed in the ground and then sitting back, waiting for the harvest. It, it doesn't work that way. Sowing refers to all the activities that go into growing plants, sowing, watering, weeding, tending, pruning. And here's what it includes. It includes taking care of the plants you want to grow and getting rid of the plants you don't want to grow. So when we translate to this to the business, okay, you have to do all the activities. You can't just, and, and a sales term is spray and pray, but you just throw a whole bunch of stuff out there and pray that something lands and somebody gives you some business. No, yes, you, okay. Yes, you have to get out there and, and show people what you can do to get noticed. But you also need to follow up with prospects, be clear on who you work for, deliver beyond what's expected. And here's the thing about, about the business is similar to the agriculture. You need to be ruthless about pruning out those ideas, products, service that you thought were good ideas at the time. Initially, you thought they were great, but it turns out they're not the ones you want to grow. And so, you know, I, I think that, that people get this view from the media of someone being an overnight success, an overnight success. That is, it, it just doesn't exist. You want a recent example? Amanda Gorman, the amazing uh, young Black poet that wowed everybody at President Biden's inauguration. She didn't become, you know, well-known overnight by luck. No, it was many years of working very hard, working on her craft, working to get noticed, 
that got her that opportunity on that day. And then she delivered. Wow, did she ever deliver when given the chance. She spent years sowing generously and now she is reaping generously as is her due. So we can see this folks everywhere we go. And, and that's why I love this quote is because it says, it's not because of luck. It is because of what you do. And these, these quote unquote overnight successes you hear about in the media, go back, go back, look at Amanda Gorman's history. It, you know, she's young, but, but go back and look what she was doing when she was in grade school. She was sowing generously. And, and the fact that she's reaping now, I think that's awesome. I think it's an awesome example of this quote and this principle. Well, Dave, I think that's an awesome way to wrap things up. We will include your information in the show notes, but everybody go to thinkoutsidetheslide.com. There are tons of resources there and there are ways for you to get in touch with Dave if you want to hire him to help you out with your PowerPoint needs. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks very much for being our guest, Dave. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks, Steve. Great discussion, we'll Dave. Thank you very much. You're welcome.